Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. Washed in the blood of Jesus, I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. God, I am free, free, free from this world of sin. Washed in the blood of Jesus, I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. Like a bird out of prison, that's taken its flight. Like a blind man that God gave back his sight. Like a poor wretched beggar, that found fortune in fame. I'm so glad that I found out he would bring me out through his holy name. Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. Washed in the blood of Jesus, I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. Well, I uh, missed practice here just this evening, and as a result, I missed that last note. Didn't know where that was going. So if anything sounded a little funny, blame me, okay? All right. Well, anyway, I thought that turned out okay. Amen. All right. Isn't that a great song, though? Amen. Amen. Well, rightly dividing the word of truth is what we're going to be addressing today. We can go ahead and flip that on, gentlemen. I'm going to go ahead and uh, get this. I forgot to grab it. <clears throat> so we're dealing with, uh, go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, and then we'll get that going here in just a moment. We'll kind of give you a kind of catch up with where we've been already, and then we'll um, continue on with what we're going to be addressing. <clears throat> All right. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Again, writing to Timothy, Paul made the statement, he said, in 2 Timothy 2, 15, he said, Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so we began addressing and dealing with that topic. We began looking into that issue of rightly dividing. 
And um, so we said that the student of the Word of God is referred to as a workman. And um, obviously that means that he has to have a plan. She has to have a game plan as you attack the Word of God. We talked about the need for like a blueprint when it comes to a building and how necessary and how essential that is. And it's so true also when it comes to us as believers in attacking the scriptures, we need to have a game plan. And the Word of God outlines and lays out some things for us that helps us to navigate properly through it. And so we realized that there were three classes of people. We talked about that. There's the Jew, there's the Gentile, and there's the church of God. And we're all part of one or the other. All humanity is one or the other. And someone says, well, you can be both. No, you're not. Not according to the Bible. If you're a Jew and you're saved, you're the church of God. If you are a Gentile and you're saved, you're of the church of God. If you're a Gentile, you're not a Jew. If you're Jew, you're not a Gentile. But if you're a Jew or a Gentile saved, you're all part of the church of God. Okay, now that's how the Bible breaks it down. The Bible says, give none offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles, uh, nor to the church of God. Now, while the whole Bible, we said, was written for our instruction, the instruction of the church, if you will, it's not all written about the church. And so we said that we have to be extremely careful that we rightly divide the word of truth. It's important that we realize, again, that Scripture's for our instruction. It's for our learning. But what happened to Israel, although it was written for an example to us and for our admonition, we can't apply to the church what belongs to Israel. There's this element where... where Although the Word of God's been written to us, not everything's <clears throat> directly at us, like it doesn't apply to us. And we talked about that. We know that there might be an application, but the doctrinal application and the inspirational application are different. And so as a result of that, we have to be careful that we don't apply a promise to Israel or to the Jew, to us, the church, because we are distinct and we are different. We are unique. So what happened to Israel, again, is for our example. It's for our admonition. But we have to be careful that we don't take from them what's rightfully theirs. So when we misapply the scriptures, we're not rightly dividing them. When we acclaim a promise that doesn't belong to us as the church, then we're not properly applying the scriptures. <clears throat> you say, well, all the promises of the book are mine, every chapter, every verse, every line. And we sing a little chorus like that. And that is true to a degree, but not every promise is for me. Now, again, we want to grow up and we want to learn that God's promises are to be believed and they're wonderful. But the truth is, is that course probably isn't 100% accurate because you start applying certain promises to you, your expectations are going to be dashed. I promise you that. You better be careful with that. Um, it's like somebody else's father. You say, well, his dad said that, that, that he's going to get a car for, his, uh, for when he graduates. And therefore, because his dad told him that, then I also, I'm going to get a car. You know, my brother's getting one, then I'm going to get one. You, you might be sadly dissatisfied and disappointed because dad made a promise to your brother, not to you. Maybe you still got a real issue in your life and your brother's been getting some things together and you got some areas where you're being rebellious and disobedient and you're saying, well, I'm going to claim that promise. It's not been made to you. It's not yours to keep. It's not yours. It's for your brother. And sometimes we have a tendency to claim Israel's promises as the church's and we try to say, well, we took the place of Israel, and we said that's not the case at all. We recognize that from the book of Romans chapter 11. It's pretty clear and obvious. And so nonetheless, we said we need to make sure that we're rightly dividing the word of truth. Otherwise, we're going to create confusion. There's going to be a tremendous amount of error promoted. And so we don't want to do that. We've made that clear. So <clears throat> again, we started talking about this issue, addressing the issue. And uh, we said that 
in the Word of God, there's a number of things that are divided, a number of things. And I think it's important to recognize that and understand that. And so tonight, I just want to go through a couple of things that God divides, that he, that he shows that there's somewhat of a division there, and, and that he makes it fairly clear. Now, again, I'm not talking about things like night and day and that kind of thing. I'm talking about some biblical issues. That we'll, you'll, we'll see where we're going with this in just a moment. But I guess the whole premise of this is just to show that God has some divisions in the Bible. And if you put things in their proper place where they belong, everything falls into place and makes sense. The problem is, is when we start applying biblical truths that belong in another time period or another place or referred to or directed at another people and we claim them as our own, it gets very confusing. It can be very difficult. And so we're going to try to figure that out. If there's ever been a time in the, your life when you said, man, it just seems that the Bible's inconsistent, that, there's, 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 uh, <clears throat> that the Bible itself, there's error in the Bible. I, I'm, I'm seeing, uh, you know, there's just a, it, it doesn't add up. It says this over here, but then it says this over here, and I don't know, you know, how that could be the case. Well, it's probably because there needs to be a division recognized, and the Bible needs to be, passages need to be dropped in their rightful, proper place, and then all of a sudden there's harmony again. Okay, and that's what we're going to try to begin to learn a little bit and note as we go through. Now, let's go ahead and take a moment to pray very quickly, and then we're going to note, again, some of these areas where the Word of God divides some things, okay? And we'll just look at some basic fundamental ones, all right? And then we'll go from there. Father, help us now. We love you. We thank you for all you do for us, and we thank you for your Word, and Lord, how clear it can be. And yet, Lord, there's times when it can be very difficult, especially if we fail to rightly divide. And Lord, the truth is, we'll get to heaven and every one of us are going to learn some things. But Lord, that's because we're not you. And Lord, the truth is, when we get to heaven, we won't ever know everything. Because if we did, we'd be you. And So Lord, we thank you that you're God and we're not. And we just ask that you'd bless us. Lord, I'm glad that the weight of the universe is on your shoulders and not mine. And I ask your God that you would just continue to bless each and every one of us as we yield ourselves to you. As we seek to learn as much as we can about you before we meet you in heaven. Now, Lord, be glorified in our lives and bless this service. And may we learn something that will, about our Bibles that will unlock truths to us so that we can better understand you, your word, and your ways. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, first of all, it divides the work of Christ. Now, we addressed this and we talked about this a little bit already. It divides the work of Christ. And we noted there were three offices that Christ holds. And we noted earlier in our series that that those offices are that of a prophet, of a priest, and of a king. Now, again, he does not hold these offices co-jointly or, or uh, at the same time. He, he, he uh, holds these offices in, as we say, successively. So, like, as you'll see the chart, you'll notice that in the Old Testament, he was a prophet, and, and, and now he's a priest, and one day he comes as a king. And so there's a division here, even when it comes to the work of Christ. Christ's work is defined in the Word of God as being different. His work is a prophet, priest, and king. He does not work all three at the same time. It's not how it works. If you, you understand the Bible, you read through the Word of God, you'll see in that Old Testament, he was a prophet. You see that he rec- his work is that of a priest. And then as we move forward outside the church age and we get into the kingdom, we're going to note that he's a king on the throne of David. And so we see that he works successively. And so there's that division. So when you look at Christ and you start to, uh, start to um, 
um, study the, Christ himself and his work, you're going to find that the Bible divides it into three groups. And you can even base that uh, basically on, in, in time periods. You can see that Old Testament and now in our New Testament and then ultimately in the kingdom age. And so there's that element there where, where there's, there's a division. It's, it's obvious, and the Bible makes that division and makes it clear. From the fall to Eden, excuse me, from the fall in Eden all the way to the cross, he's a prophet. Then you go from there to, you know, then from there all the way to his return one day, he's a priest. And then when he returns again, he's going to be a king. There it is, it breaks down. Now from Eden to the cross, there's an altar. In the Old Testament, there were all kind of altars, weren't there? And so from there, when the fall took place, all the way there till you get Jesus Christ, there's an altar. You see the sacrifices being made on behalf of the people, on behalf of Israel. There's an altar. From the cross to the crown, you're going to see a table. You have the Lord's table. We're looking back and we're remembering the broken body of Jesus Christ. We're remembering the, 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 the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. And then from the crown to Christ's surrender of the kingdom, long after the thousand-year millennium, you, you're going to have a throne during that time. And he's, of course, sitting on that throne. He's the one wearing that, that crown. He's the king. So, again, it divides the work of Christ. The, the work of Christ as a prophet, as a priest, and as a king. It also distinguishes between time past and these last days. As you look at the Bible and you start to read into it and you start to understand a little bit, you realize, again, that the Bible states that there's that time past and then there's those last days. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. <clears throat> the point just being is, is that there are some divisions in the Bible, that there are things that God divides. When people start talking about the Word of God being rightly divided, it, you know, some folks get all upset about that, and they say, wait a second, that whole book's mine, I get to claim it all. You know what, you can, you can do that, and the Word of God was given to you, and it's for your learning, and it's for your growth, and all of those things, I get it, but you, you do need to understand that everything that's written in there doesn't apply to you directly, and it doesn't apply to your time right now. Listen, grace is different than law, law is different than grace. That's all there is to it. But there were also times throughout history where God dealt with people also differently than law and grace. And we're going to note here as we grow to the end uh, that I'm, I, I believe without a doubt that these divisions in the Bible, we could call them something we call dispensations. That there are times when God dealt with mankind in a certain specific way and therefore we have to understand that and when we place scriptures where they belong, it makes perfect sense why they're there. Again, if you go over to the book of Acts, you go to the book of James, you go to the book of Hebrews, you run to some of these transitional books, you find scriptures that really just blow your mind, and you think that does not, that does not, um, um, see, my, my mind, there's certain words tonight that just aren't clicking, um, harmonize, there are certain things that are not harmonizing with these passages, well, we're going to find that they do harmonize if you put them in their proper place and their right divisions. And so we're going to see these divisions, and that's the whole point, just that God makes some divisions in the Bible, and therefore it's not so hard to believe then that Scripture fits within certain divisions. Now, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God who at sundry times 
and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So, again, we're talking about some division. In this particular scripture, we are reading about time past versus the last days. It's obvious. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what it says. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. How did he speak to those people back there in time past? Through the prophets. Through the prophets. Pretty obvious. That's what the Bible says he did. But then also he goes on to say he spake, he, he also goes on to say in these last days he has spoken unto us. You say last days, well, well wait a second, when are the last days? Well, I'm glad you asked. Over in the book of uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, the Bible says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking around, uh, walking after their own lusts. Hey, those last days have been ever since the Apostle Paul's been on earth then. When the Apostle Paul was on earth, way back there 2,000 years ago. You say, that doesn't make sense. 2,000 years can't all be the last days. Well, days as 1,000 years of the Lord. He makes that perfectly clear. These are the last days. He could come back at any moment. He could have came back in Paul's day. He can come back in our day. They were the last days. But we have these past, these times that were past. We have all the way from Eden all the way up to the cross that God dealt with them. And boy, there were prophets. We think of Deuteronomy and, and Moses. We think about, uh, I mean, and we think about all the different prophets throughout the centuries, throughout the, 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 the uh, millenniums. We think about Elijah and Habakkuk and Micah and Daniel and all the prophets. What he spoke to them through the prophets in time past. But then there's that other time, the last days. That's where we are today. We're in the last days. He spake in time past by the prophets, while in these last days he spake unto us by his son. His son. He spake unto us by his son. What does that mean? You say, what well, he spoke by his son. I don't hear his son speaking. Well, the last time I checked, his son speaks quite clearly. Because over in the book of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And ultimately says in verse 14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Literally, the Word of God is Jesus Christ. And by the way, he speaks to us in these last days. By his son. He said, he's speaking to me, but not through that book. Then you haven't heard from him. I don't know who you're listening to, but it ain't him. If we're not listening to him, right here, then we're getting somebody, somebody's talking to us, some voice. We're hearing a voice, all right, but it's not his voice. Well, God told me, God didn't tell you nothing if it ain't coming out of this. And sometimes the biggest uh, answers you need are the words you never hear. God doesn't say nothing. You better just sit still. Because he'll speak to you. Be very clear. Be very clear from the word of God. We get into a mess when we start identifying what God's telling us without confirming it in scripture. He ought to be speaking through the word. Those truths are found in the book. That's where we find truth. And that's what we need to do. He speaks to us in these last days through his son. And you know what? We have the record of his son's life. We have the record of his son's death. We have the record of the resurrection. We've got the record of his present ministry as a priest. We know where he's going to end up in the future as a king. But this whole book is 
our guide. It's, it, it's, it's to guide us. And the Holy Spirit takes these truths and applies them to our lives. And boom, there it is. He's speaking to us in these last days. So we have to be aware of that, and, and we need to be very, um, very clear on that issue. And otherwise, we're going to run into a lot, of, a lot of problems. So praise the Lord that we have a book, Jesus Christ himself, uh, uh, the written word, and uh, he leads us and guides us through it. Amen. It's a wonderful thing. Okay, so um, what should I do? Well, find out what God's word says. That's what our whole thing is all about. That's why we go to church, because we want to learn what the word of God teaches and what our responsibility is according to the word. That's why we go uh, to the pastor and get counsel. That's why we sit in Sunday school class, because we want to hear what the word of God has to say about things. Okay? I mean, it's just, that's as simple as it is because we want to know what God has to say. And uh, we're trying to figure it out. That's why we, we get it with the Lord. That's why we get with the Lord. And we try to find what, what God has to say in our daily walk and devotions. But uh, let me tell you this. Be very careful about somebody that tells you that they're walking close to God, but they don't want nothing to do with God's house. Because see, God gave the church, he gave pastors and teachers and all of those, you know that Hebrews 4, Ephesians 4, as a gift to the church. They're a gift. Boy, I'll tell you what, you need the church and I need the church. We all need it. Even pastors need the church. Okay, we all need the church. It's important. So we learn about him and through the word of God, but through that word, hopefully being taught in the, the, the church, the Sunday schools, uh, the classroom, and everywhere else, we should be getting a better picture of him and an opportunity to get to know him and what he expects of us and what his expectations are for us. So we notice uh, a couple of things he divides. He divides, as we noted already, he divides the, the, the work of Christ from prophet, priest, and king. He also divides the time past from the last days, and we see that division. Also, we're going to also note that he divides times and seasons, times and seasons. Now, Daniel said of God, turn to Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. Speaking about God, Daniel made this statement. <clears throat> Again, our, our goal is to just simply point out that there are some distinctions in time in the Word of God. Very important to understand that. Notice what he says. Daniel says of the Lord, or of God, he says in Daniel 2.21, and he, speaking of God, changeth the times... And the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Now, again, he changeth the times and the seasons. Now, if the times and the seasons are the same thing, I don't know why he wasted his time saying it. They're obviously very different. Times and seasons are different. Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, he said, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Job testified that the times are not hidden from the Almighty in Job 24.1. The children of Issachar, the Bible says they had understanding of the times. In 1 Chronicles 12, the Bible says this in verse 32, and of the children of Issachar, which were men that had, excuse me, and of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know that what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their commandment. Notice, they had understanding of the times. Now, let's define those two just a little bit. Seasons. Let's start with seasons. 
When we think about seasons, we can't help but go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. The Bible tells us God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Now, when we think about seasons, we can't help but think about Ohio. Ohio has these wonderful seasons, don't we? We've got the winter, we've got the, 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 the spring, we've got summer, and we've got fall. And people say things like all the time, I just love, love the seasons. I just love uh, the four different seasons in Ohio. Well, I don't. I wish it was warm and sunny all the time. Man, I love nice weather. Now, again, that'd be really bad for all the bugs and stuff up here. I know they'd be multiplying, and then I'd probably be freaking out, hoping we'd get a real deep freeze. But the fact is, is that there's four seasons. And when we think about those four seasons, we're, we're kind of focusing, we recognize that there's this element of a climate change, that the, the climate actually changes. And, you know, and, and it's due to the sun and, and the moon and the stars and those things which God has placed in heaven long before, even in, in creation, when we see that here in Genesis. Now, so, so as, you know, uh, the sun, the earth moves away from the sun as it tilts differently and all of that, there's these seasons, and it affects the climate, and that's what we're talking about, these seasons. But then there's these times. They're outlined in Scripture as well. There are certain times that God speaks about that he shares with us. Whoop, wrong one. There they are. I'm sorry, I, I went right past my slide. And so there's the times of ignorance. Notice in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, the Bible says this. It says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. The times of this ignorance God winked at. Now again, that's a little bit tricky, isn't it? You start looking at a passage like that and you're thinking, what in the world's going on? God's going to wink at something? God's going to wink at the, the, you know, this ignorance? Uh, uh, I mean, what ignorance? Well, you've got to understand that mankind's been idolaters for a long time. <clears throat> They've been idolaters for years and years and years. From the very beginning, mankind has struggled to know who God really is. They've struggled to know who God is. They've struggled to know how to worship God. You know what he winked at? Their spiritual wickedness. You want to know why? Because God wasn't revealed to them the way he is to you and I. Right. At that point, he had not been revealed. He didn't know God the way we know God, and they didn't understand the word like we understand the word. They didn't have the law even to go by. It was different. And you say, wait a second, you saying that God overlooked some sin? Yes, indeed. He forbore. By the way, he overlooks your sin and mine so often, too. He puts up with us. He is so long-suffering, isn't he? But here's the thing. Today he says, guess what? Not only do you know who I am because I've revealed myself through my son and through scripture, but also you know what I expect of you. So therefore, everybody, all men better repent. It's commanded that they repent. Turn from their sin and get right. There's no winking anymore. He's not going to put up with it any longer. It's over with. Those days are done. That's interesting already, isn't it? Now, again, it's not saying that they could live and do whatever they pleased. People still went to hell if they did not submit and surrender to God. That's just the way it was. But God tried to overlook a lot because he hadn't ultimately revealed himself the way he has to us. See, him that knoweth to do good and doeth, not, doeth it not, to him it is sin. 
When we know what to do and we don't do it, that's when it's sinful for us, it's really sinful. It's just like your child, it's not, I'm not saying it wasn't wrong, don't misunderstand me. I mean, a cannibal that kills somebody and eats them because they've been taught as a child to eat flesh, you know, let me tell you something, I, I don't know if that's a good idea either way. But the fact is, is that I believe God sees that differently than if you did it. Because they don't know any different. I'm not saying they won't be held accountable and ultimately pay for their sin. Because remember, it's not the sins we commit that send us to hell. It's our sin, atomic nature. Hey, every person had to pay the price for their sin. But their sins, God winked at that for a while. And by the way, I'm glad that he's still long-suffering to you and I, too, at times. And he winks at ours sometimes in a sense. But he does command that all men everywhere repent now. Now, again, I'm spending way too much time on that. But you'll notice the times of ignorance. You see, Eden there all the way up to the time of Moses. Because, see, when Moses came around, what happened? The law came into existence. God said, you know what? You know what I expect. You know what's right and wrong. And I expect you to get it right now. There's no excuse now. None whatsoever for doing wrong. None at all. I don't know any, uh, your kid says, but I didn't know, Mom. And you think, I told you that at least 10 times. But sometimes as a parent, we may say, why didn't you do that? And he's, I didn't know. And they honestly may not know. It's not really fair for us to hold them accountable to something they don't even know about. That's that, you want to talk about, you know, provoking your children to wrath. Go ahead and hold them accountable for something they don't even know about. I mean, we, we, you know, obviously as parents, we make some mistakes in that area, but, but the truth is we should work very hard not to let that be the case and define and outline exactly what our expectations are so they can certainly respond the way we want them to. God's saying, listen, at this point, I have shared everything I can possibly share with you. It's quite clear what I expect of you. You better repent or ouch. It's not good. Now, not only that, but notice the next. We have the times of the Gentiles. And again, we're talking about times, and he's defining times in the Bible. He's saying there's this thing called the times of the Gentiles. Oh, so what are these times? The times of the Gentile. That's exactly what they are. And you say, what's that mean? Well, Luke chapter 21, 24 tells us about it. He says, go ahead and turn there. You can turn there. Might as well. Luke chapter 21, 24. I, I don't... I don't want to run out of time, so if you'll look up a few verses, it'll slow this down a little bit, and I won't get through too fast. <laughs> you don't believe that, do you? Luke 21, 24. Look at this, the times of the Gentiles. What in the world is that? That's a good question, isn't it? Absolutely. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive unto all nations. I think, I think already we're starting to get a picture. Who's going to be led away to all nations? Sounds a lot like Israel, doesn't it? And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles. Now we know it's got to be Jerusalem. It's, it's the Jew. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So there's a time period that's called the times of the Gentiles. Obviously, the Gentiles are going to come into power and they're going to continue in power Till, as according to the Bible, till the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. 
Well, what that is is over there in 606 B.C., we have Babylon coming in and ultimately taking over Jerusalem. We see them taking over Judah. We know that their, their capital was in Jerusalem, and we know that some, from that day on, all the way forward, Gentiles have been ruling the world. Do you ever notice in school that they don't teach you about the Jews ruling the world? It always starts with Babylon, it seems. Why? That's the times of the Gentiles. Who are we? Gentiles. Why wouldn't we promote ourselves? It's all about the Gentiles. It's never about the Jew. Even Christians can't get their mind wrapped around that God's not finished with the Jew, let alone the world. The world doesn't want Jews ruling the world. Times of the Gentiles are in place. It won't be till Christ returns, establishes the throne, and the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. Their time will run out. It'll be over with, done with. Christ will be now ruling and reigning. Israel will be exalted, magnified, and placed in their proper place. Times of the Gentiles. And again, we're seeing a division again in the Bibles, a division of times. And the Bible's outlining what those times are. He said already, speaking to us, he said that there were the times of ignorance. There's these times of the Gentiles. And now he's going to point to the times of refreshing. Excuse me. Time, well, I'm going to, well, let me just keep it on this. I'm going to follow this, uh, this here real quick so you can get, understand how it fits together. But the times of refreshing. Now notice the times of refreshing over here. Okay? Now what we're going to find here is that these times of refreshing are going to be a time period what we would ultimately call, identify as, the thousand-year millennium. Okay, and he says here in Acts 3.19, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So now we're going to have that. We also have this, uh, this, this time of restitution. And again, restitution here is going to include these times of refreshing and fullness of time. So what's going to happen is, is when Jesus Christ returns, the millennium's going to kick off and there's going to be the whole thousand years. Then after the millennium, we know there's going to be that battle and ultimately there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. That time is included as well. That's going to be the fullness of times. So the fullness of times and the times of refreshing fall under the category of the times of restitution in Scripture. Now, you say, this is so confusing. That's why you have to study the Bible. It is not always easy to understand the Bible, contrary to what everybody tells you. You have to study to shew thyself approved unto God. A workman. Remember what the Bible said? A workman. We're to be workmen. That means it's going to take a lot of effort to understand and to put things in their proper place and to make sense of the Word of God. If you think for a minute that you're going to step up to the plate and you're going to hit a home run the moment you open your Bible as far as knowledge is concerned, you're wrong. you got to, it, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. It's a constant process, just like the Christian life is. Understanding God's Word is a process. And by the way, there's nobody in the world that fully understands this book. There's questions that I will have till the day I die. And there are questions you will have till the day you die. If you ever, ever, ever understand everything in this book, then the world will have to bow to you because you would have to be God himself. Only the author knows all the answers. But let me tell you what, it is never, ever, ever an excuse 
that can never be an excuse for not trying. Man, the, the more we know about him, the closer we get to him, the better we are. These times, I mean, the Bible outlines the times of ignorance, the times of the Gentiles, the times of refreshing, the, time, the fullness of times, and the times of restitution. We see them in Scripture. They're outlined. They're shared to us. Again, the point just being is that there are divisions that God makes in the Bible. He's the one that divides some things. He does that in his word. We look at this element of, of ages, and we see that there's some division there. Antediluvian means before the flood. So there's, you've got this age before the flood. You've got this time now where we live between the time of the flood all the way till now. You've got the age of ages that includes the new heaven and new earth and even that thousand-year millennial reign. So you've got these ages that take place in the Bible. The Bible says over here in the book of Ephesians 3, 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. There was an age before our present age then. It was, in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. Well, we've been, there's been a lot made known to us according to Ephesians, but it wasn't made known to them. That in the ages to come he might shew the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, 7. In the ages to come now. Now there's some ages ahead of time. What's he going to do with those, with, with some things? He says in the ages to come, he's going to show his exceeding riches of his grace, the exceeding riches of his grace. You want to know why everything happens to us the way it does? You want to know why that God didn't just end it all when Adam fell? Because he wanted us to be trophies of his grace forever and ever and ever in history and throughout the rest of time. He will point to you and I and say, see, I loved them without reason. That's how gracious and merciful I am. That's, that's, what, we, that's what he'll do. Nobody will bear to question the love and the grace of God because he could save me. Yeah, look at him. Wow, you are so gracious, perfect, heavenly Father. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it funny how we, we misunderstand what our purpose is in all of this sometimes? Like we're doing God a favor? He's doing us the big favor. Isn't that great? Aren't you glad he did? And he gives us so much and allows us to experience so much good. But the truth is it's still always about him, and we better be careful we never forget that. So we have that antediluvian age, if you will. It goes from the fall to the flood. We have our present age. It goes from the flood all the way to the second coming. And then we've got what's called the age of ages here, so to speak. It's the second coming of Christ right to the end of time. Man, so much going on there. Now, I, because of time, I'm just going to run right to this. I'm going to make this statement. Um, we're going to know that basically an age, and let me, let me find, I just want to make sure I... I When we think about the, uh, an age, and, and, and the reason I'm going to mention this is because I'm going to transition now. I'm going to skip a, some portion of this, this uh, lesson. But an age is, is defined often by a, uh, a major change in the earth, physical change in the earth, um, a major event that takes place, uh, words that could be used about cataclysmic event. 
Um, for instance, the flood. Think about how it changed everything. Okay, all the way up to the flood now, we've got, we've got Adam and Eve and all of these people. You've got, what, almost 1,700 years of human history now, and all of a sudden the flood shows up, and what happens? The world changes completely. Remember how quickly things change? It went from 900 years of age approximately. It starts to wean itself down now. We're only living to 100. A major physical event took place. Climate, a cli you talk about climate change. It took place at the flood, let me tell you. And a lot of other things took place. And so it ultimately affected us. I mean, where'd all those dinosaurs go? Hmm. Hey, it changed a lot of things. And um, so we, we note that. Now, biblically, we see that as well. Even in Isaiah 65, 20, we're, watch this. <laughs> We've got this change that took place at the flood, but guess what? When Jesus Christ returns... There's going to be another major physical change in the earth. Listen to this one. Over in Isaiah 65, 20, speaking about the millennium, the Bible says, There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old. What's he saying? It's going to go back to like pre-flood. People are going to live to be a much older Oh, it's a thousand-year millennium. There's going to be people that may live almost a thousand years or more. They'll live through the whole millennium. Why? Because something's going to happen. There's going to be a, a cataclysmic change. There's going to be a physical change that takes place when Christ arrives. Matter of fact, you know that Dead Sea? That Dead Sea's dead because the water <laughs> is stagnant. It's not flowing. Elevation's going to change to the point where it's flowing both directions. Wait a second, how does that work? How does that take place? Because the world's going to change. The physical over there in the Middle East, everything's going to change there. We're going to see that even the ages of people will change. It's going to affect them directly. Ages. They're, they're, if you will, we, we could say, okay, let's define age then. We could say something like an age extends from one cataclysmic or climatic change to another in Earth's surface or condition. Hold on. Finally, I want you to understand this, and I want you to hear this because this is what we're going to be focusing on now. So we move forward in this study. We're going to be looking over these next few weeks when I share this on what we often call or what's been termed or coined dispensations. Now, a dispensation is a little different than an age. An age, of course, stands, again, for a period of two great physical changes, okay? There's this big change, then there's this big change, and between those changes, there's big differences and big changes in the earth. However, when we talk about a, a, a uh, dispensation, we're going to talk about a moral or probationary period in world history. God's going to deal with people in a particular way based on what he has revealed to them. The law is not grace. And grace is not the law. And what we're going to find is that God deals differently with people in different time periods. They, we often coin them as dispensations. And if we put the scriptures where they belong, all of a sudden it makes sense. Remember I told you that over there in the book of Matthew, you have scriptures that teach, except ye endure to the end, ye shall not be saved. Well, if you drop that where it belongs, it does not belong in the church age. 
That scripture falls right in the tribulation period. God has ceased dealing with the church. Why? Because the church has already been raptured out. And he's began dealing with Israel again. And he's transitioning ultimately to the kingdom age. And so therefore, if you fail to follow through, you don't endure to the end during the tribulation, you will not be saved. And that is a truth. No matter how many times you pray, Jesus saved me. You take the mark, you're going to split hell wide open. It is that simple. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So it's important to keep that in mind. Now again, we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we move on. But God, he makes some of these divisions. And, and therefore, he's telling us that we need to rightly divide the word of truth. Rightly divide it. If we fail to divide the word of God, there's going to be all these inconsistencies. There's going to be this confusion that exists. There's going to be all of these things that take place that just kind of blow us away. We're like, what, how could God say that here? But then does he, what does he mean? He says this, and then he says this, and how's come he let that person off, and he doesn't let this person off? How's come he did this? I mean, it gets crazy, right? Well, I'm telling you, there's answers for all of those things. And if there's a failure to find an answer, it's because we have failed to find out how to divide properly. But we have to divide the scriptures. Contradictions are between the ears. They exist between the ears. There are no contradictions in Scripture. God doesn't contradict himself. He may appear to contradict himself if we fail to rightly divide the Scriptures. Again, how can you tell me that you can't lose your salvation? God says you can in Matthew, preacher. Prove it. Well, where does that passage fall? Who's he speaking to? What's it all about? You've got to identify who he's to, who's he talking to there. And what time period is he addressing and dealing with? The church isn't even on earth when you put the passage where it belongs. So it can't be talking to you. It doesn't apply to you. Praise the Lord for that. I'm glad it doesn't. And somebody says, well, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. God's not obligated to make sense. If you will take the time and I will take the time, to try to understand his word and rightly divide it, those kind of things, those kind of contradictions will cease to exist. But they belong here. That's where they start. That's where they are they're found. Again, contradictions are between the ears. So let's, get, let's work hard. Let's try to divide our scriptures. Let's understand the word. And over these next weeks as we move along, and it'll be a few weeks before we start this, we're going to go ahead and start kicking into this and looking into some of these things we call dispensations to try to understand what God was doing and who he was doing it with and why he was doing it and those kind of things. And we'll find, we'll learn a lot about God and his word over these weeks. All right, well, Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Father, for the simplicity of the word of God. And yet, Lord, there are times it can be complex. We're asking you, Lord, just to help us to put the pieces in the right places so it makes perfect sense. We're not, we're not trying to to undermine the context of Scripture. That's not what we're talking about. We're not, we're not doing that. We're not trying to change doctrine. We're simply trying to understand who you're talking to and when you're talking and where it fits in time so that we understand the application properly. Lord, you're the one that told us that we must rightly divide the word of truth. Help us to do just that. Now, thank you, Father, for a people I believe have a heart and a desire to do just that. May you encourage them and help them to study 
And when they don't understand something, not to get discouraged, but just to keep begging you to reveal truth and then to show them what they need to know so that they can properly play Scripture. And Lord, if they struggle with some things, they may just have to ask questions of a teacher or possibly the pastor even, or maybe uh, dig into their Bible and try to read other Scriptures that seem to be tied to it. Thank you, Father, for these reference Bibles and these kind of tools that will help us to dig. Uh, It's just a blessing that we have today that they didn't have so many years ago, especially now with these computers and all of the technology. Sometimes study can become so effortless almost compared to what it used to be. May we not take it lightly, though. May we study diligently that we may be, Father, truly pleasing in your sight. We love you now. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.